I was just I was thinking about this um, in relation to uh, somebody called me to go and see them just recently, just the other day. This woman in the church at uh, Kirkintelich, and uh, she obviously had some troublesome situations in her mind with her family, and the family situation is desperate. I mean, she's a, a Christian. Her husband came to faith, I think, about a week before he died, and she was brought up in the Brethren in Kirkendillich. Uh, and she really did her best to send the children along to Sunday school and to show them an example. But when they grew up, the uh, I think it was one son got married, and that marriage has broken up. The other was a daughter, she got married, and that marriage has broken up. Two marriages have broken up in the family. Uh, the other chap uh, is a lovely Christian lad. I don't know how old he is, his, his daughter was married fairly recently, so he can't be that young at the end of the day. But uh, he felt some time ago that he wanted to go into missionary service. And he gave up a lucrative job, a, a well-paid job, and he spent his money in training for this missionary service that he was going to go to. And just about a month before he was going away to missionary service, he was diagnosed with bowel cancer. He had to go through a big operation, there was one of the, the bag, the colostomy, and eventually that was reversed, and, but he couldn't go to the mission field as he had hoped. But the good news of course was that uh, everything was cleared up and everything was going well. And she just heard recently that uh, the cancer has returned. He's now got a tumour on his lung and a tumour in his liver. He's having to go through a, two big operations I think at the end of the day. And she can't, she can't get a handle on this. She's been a Christian all these years. And she said to me, Alex, she says, no matter what you say to me, I just can't understand what God's doing in all this. Here is this son of mine. He's not, he's not the wayward one that's broken up his marriage. His marriage is intact. He's got a family, got a wife. He's the one that's done so well. And he's the one that's been, been healed of cancer. And the whole thing is returned. And, and the boy said to his mother, the son said to his mother, he said, you know, maybe God's got another plan in view. I said, well, you know, that's amazing that your son was able to say that to you. doesn't matter, she says. I, I just, I'm against God and what God's doing with my son. And you can just imagine how she's feeling when this news has just come through uh, in recent days that the whole thing has returned and the situation is even worse. Then Eileen was talking to, what was that lady you were talking to last night? I was at a mission last night in Glasgow speaking and she talked to this, this lady. What did she actually say? Oh, she's not a believer, but she comes because she likes the tea and the cake. <laughs> but she had, um, now, I think it was a niece who was a Christian for seven years and then she died, about 47. And she says, I can't, I can't believe in God because of that, you know. But she was there. No, she but, was there. And I said, um, oh, she said, uh, I said, well, what are the consequences of all that? Um, Oh, she says, I'm just going to be going to hell. She says, the only folk down there. I thought, oh, how sad. Aye, aye. She hadn't, wasn't, she isn't the reality. So you've got these sort of circumstances in life when folk have really been hit with... <laughs> 
cancer, heart attack, whatever it might be, or depression, and and so against God. Maybe they're not against God as much as maybe the relations might be against God. So you've got that kind of situation to cope with as, as a pastor, as a church. And I said to her, I said, I haven't got any easy answers to give you. I said, I don't know why it is that Christians can suffer sometimes terribly, a terrible illness along with others. But this psalm is saying something else to us as well, as well as these terrible situations that happen to Christians that make people question God. This psalm is saying actually something else. It's actually saying, the first, look at the first verse of Psalm 73. It really poses the problem there in the first verse. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's almost a, a, a wee sort of shred of, of doubt there. Surely God is good to Israel. And, and the psalmist at the beginning of this psalmist said, Well, I, I, I just really wonder if that's true. Surely is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. And you know those who are pure in heart and you know those who are going on with God. And you say to yourself, well, I'm, I hope to be pure in heart. I hope to go on with God. But have I really experienced the goodness of God? <clears throat> and sometimes we fail to catalogue the good things that God has done for us. Or to rehearse the good things. It's very interesting in the Old Testament with the story of Israel that God would tell the Israelites whenever they would grumble and complain and wishing they were back in Egypt again, he would say, well just think of what you've come through. Think of that great deliverance through the Red Sea. Just think of the provision in the wilderness when they started to complain. And sometimes we don't think as much about the good that the Lord has done. We focus on the, the terrible times that we have. And this is the problem that the psalmist is faced with here. Because he says in verse 2, As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foot. Why was that true? Why was he almost slipping away from the sure and confident faith that he had? And the answer is there next verse. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So as well as having doubts about God because of the suffering of the righteous, the psalmist here is having doubts about God because the wicked seem to prosper. And the arrogant get away with it. And I don't know, it's a years and years since I've been in the, in the business world. Now, will kill me, I had about seven years of it. But they tell me in the business world that people that are arrogant, that push themselves forward, seem to get places. And that's a sad reflection on their society, that if you're the pushy type, the arrogant type, you seem to get there. And the psalmist is really up against it. He says, why do the wicked seem to prosper? Why do they get on with things? And here am I seeking to be pure in heart and, and part of the nation of Israel and, and you're supposed to be good God. And yet I'm looking around and this is what I'm seeing. And maybe that's the problem. The problem is a problem of focus. We keep looking around at the world and see how the Joneses and the Smiths are getting on. 
and we try and compare ourselves with them. They seem to be doing pretty well. Maybe they're not doing so well in the recession. I don't really know at the end of the day. I was reading the newspaper yesterday, the money page. Always looking hope there, you know, at the money page. Uh, and they've always got tried to get something to help you in the recession and they were looking at antiques as to see what really is of value today in the midst of the recession but I was glad to see that fine art has is, is got its value so one of these days when I paint this fantastic painting my grandchildren, my great grandchildren might be in the money <laughs> I don't really know but these great masters are still fetching the money along the way the, the furniture's not doing so well the antique furniture if I forget about that at the moment but we're always looking for something that's of value in society and the psalmist really has got struggles and he says in verse 4 they have no struggles and their bodies are healthy and strong they're free from the burdens common to man they're, they're not plagued by human ills therefore pride is their necklace they clothe themselves with violence how often do we hear about folk who are violent or those who are arrogant or those that get away with it? It's always helpful to hear about those that have been caught in some of the terrible things we do in the newspaper but there are many that get away with it. They're the things that they speak from their mouths and, and they kind of carry on in their streets on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night uh, and so many seem to get away with this. And the psalmist is really, he's really up against it. Verse 7 says, From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. How many times have we had people to threaten Christians when they seek to take a stand for what is right? Adele was just talking about this gay march that was there when she was on holiday down in the south of England and I was just talking about the word of God in, in Glasgow that's been up for exhibition and you can go and deface the scriptures. You can write anything on the page and some people have written terrible things about God and the Bible. And also during that time of this Bible exhibition you've got this video presentation of a woman who's tearing up the Bible. And putting these torn pages into her bra and into her pants. And she's eating the pages of God's word. Desecrating the scriptures. And yet it would never happen to the Quran. It would never happen to the Muslims' sacred scriptures. And that's the kind of society we're in. And the psalmist says in verse 8, they scoff. And they speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten depression. We are people who are scoffing at the word of God. They are scoffing at Christians. And the kind of society. And their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of their earth. They claim to be going the right way. And verse 10 says, Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. There seem to be folk that can get soaked up with this kind of thing. And they turn to them. They seem to think that there's, they're into equality. And this Bible thing that's been going on in Glasgow is the work of the community church. I've never heard of it in Glasgow. And the community church claims to welcome everybody. This is the true church of equality for gays and whatever you're transsexual, no matter what you are, you're welcome in the church. Well, these folk are welcome in any of our churches. But they're not taking a stand against these sort of... I don't know who this community church are. 
But it says in verse 10, Therefore their people turn to them and drink out waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is, this is the problem the psalmist faced. And I wonder if you look around in the world today, or I, I wonder if you listen to the, news, the, the wireless or the TV or the newspapers, don't you hear folks scoffing? You ever listen to Question Time on television or Question Time on the radio on a Friday night? Who are in the panel and the kind of things that they're saying against Christians in the church? They're scoffing and yet they've got a big following along the way. And that's the, that's the problem the psalmist faced. And here's the crisis that he faces. The crisis comes in verse verse 13 always. And verse 12 says, this is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. You ever feel that? You're not getting anywhere money-wise. And you're, I, mean, I couldn't get over this carry-on I heard on the radio about the woman that lost her lottery ticket. She lost it. Somebody, this couple, found it. A couple of fraudsters actually, they, they took the ticket along to Camelot and pretended to be the winning ticket, the person for the winning ticket. And so they got 30,000 quid. Now the woman that lost the ticket was able to go to Camelot and say, my ticket was lost, I actually won. And they said, well another couple have got the one, so they're fraudsters. And she got 50, the judge gave her 15,000 pounds and now she's trying to sue Camelot for the other 15,000 for actually being so stupid to give them the money but they were fraudsters and they got, they got done for that as well. this is what the wicked are like always carefree they increase in wealth that is the problem but here's the crisis look at verse 13 surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and here's the psalmist posing the question that we might have posed ourselves in our weakest moments is it worth it? Is it worth it being pure in heart, belonging to God, when all these other folk are getting on so well? They seem to be prospering. They seem to be getting wealthy. They've got a following of people coming alongside them. Is it worth it? He says in verse 13, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was impressive to me, oppressive to me. He really feels, is it really worth it living this righteous life? And I wonder if we have ever wondered about that ourselves. When you look at the prosperity of the wicked, you see how wealthy they are, how they seem to be getting on fine. And sometimes we as believers, we, we struggle sometimes. We struggle with health. We struggle with wealth. And we struggle with relationships and those that would scoff at us. Even perhaps within the family circle, who would scoff at our faith in Christ Jesus. That's the, there's the problem there. And then there's the crisis in his life. Is it really worth it? And then verse 17 onwards gives us the answer. It's a wonderful answer. He says in verse 17, Till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. This is the way he's been looking around at the world. He's been looking around at the wicked, how they're getting away with it, how they're prospering. He's been looking around at this level. 
but it hasn't been looking up to God. And all this doubting and all this difficulty he's been expressing, he's only been looking horizontally. But he begins to look vertically. And he talks about the final thing, end of things. The way things are going to turn out at the end of the day. And we've got to hold on to that because it says there, Until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. And the Bible is very clear about the destiny of the believer and the unbeliever. And sometimes we're afraid to mention it today, that there's going to be a day of reckoning. And there's going to be a day of judgment. And sometimes the wicked are not even willing to face up to that. I think I read, you know, I think Adele's like me, would sometimes listen to McConnell on the way down. I come from Kirky and I'm listening to the preaching. And I remember one occasion he said, some guy says to him, ah, he says, I don't believe uh, in this day of reckoning. He says, well, McConnell says to him, he says, but uh, the payout has actually come yet. The day of delivering the wages hasn't actually arrived. And the wages of sin is death. And that's separation from God. The day for the payout hasn't actually come. And then the psalmist says in verse 18, Surely you place them on slippery ground. He's beginning to see the perspective from God's perspective. From his perspective, they're doing mighty fine things very much. But from God's perspective, he says, You have placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed. Completely swept away by terrors as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved, my spirit was embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Here he's, he's coming to a place of confession before God. God, I, I've really been a brute beast. I, I've really got the wrong perspective of things. I can now see their end in the way that you can see it. You've put them in slippery places. And they can be so quickly destroyed. Judgment can come upon them at any time in the kind of life that they're living. And it's the final end that's going to count. Isn't it interesting, that story? Remember that story of the rich fool and the parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10? The rich fool who, who, who had a, a tremendous harvest, a bumper harvest. And the Bible tells us that he, he pulls down his barns to build greater and the problem with that man wasn't his bumper harvest. There's no selfishness in a bumper harvest. And there's no selfishness in the idea of pulling down your barns to build greater. Because the guy was successful. He had prospered. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with the wealth that he had. The problem with this man is he talked to his soul about himself. And he says, soul... Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. Another verse in the Bible says, Because tomorrow we die. And what was God's answer to this man? You fool. This very night, your soul shall be required of you. And then, whose shall these things be? It's quite interesting that in that parable that Jesus told, it's the finality of things. It's It's the moment when God says, This is your time to meet with me. This is your time for judgment before the throne. And then who's will all these possess? You can't take them to heaven. You can't even go with a credit card to heaven. 
the angels don't accept even the gold ones. <laughs> you can't go with a whole bass, a big uh, case of money. You can't take your possessions to heaven. You're going to be stark naked there face to face with the Lord as to how you've lived. And all these possessions will either rot or somebody will fight over them after you have gone. And so this, this psalmist says here, I've really been wrong about this. I've looked at this from a human perspective, but I can now see it from a divine perspective. And so he finds the answer. If you look over the page, and he finds this coming back to God, but verse 23, Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Isn't that a lovely thought there? I'm always with you, God. But even in my doubts... Even when I'm looking around the world today and I, I see non-Christians prospering and getting on so well and I'm not getting on so well, maybe even they're so healthy and I'm not so healthy. And yet, I'm always with you, Lord. I've come into the sanctuary, and this can be a sanctuary for us, isn't it? Like a sanctuary for us. The sanctuary is that trysting place, that meeting place with God. I've come into the sanctuary, Lord, and I just want you to know that I'm always with you. And he says there, And you hold me by my right hand. And you guide me, it says the next verse, with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me to glory. You hold me, you guide me, and you take me to glory. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? He doesn't get that at first. He has to go into the sanctuary, the sanctuary of God, and he gets a, a vertical perspective on things. God begins to show him what's happening here. And he says in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. It seems that there was a lot of things on earth that he desired. He desired the wealth that these non-Christians had, the non-believers had. He desired the health that they had. He desired so many things. And he comes to the conclusion, well really Lord, the earth has got nothing in comparison with what you can give. I don't desire anymore all that stuff that other folks seem to have and seem to want and, and hold on to. The earth has nothing I desire besides you. Besides you, Lord, there's just nothing else. I think that's a fantastic testimony. Beside you, Lord, there's nothing else that I would rather have. It's a great place to come to that place. And it says in verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Things might not go well with me. I might go into a period of doubting and, and falling down and failing in my faith. My flesh and my heart may fail. But the thing is, Lord, you never fail. That you are the strength of my heart and my por portion forever. Verse 27 says, Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. Isn't it good to be here today? It's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I will tell of all your deeds. What a psalm, what a testimony. I have made the sovereign God my refuge. And my refuge is there, and I will tell, I'll share, of all your deeds. As we said at the beginning, 
when Israel was going through a rough time, God would rehearse with them all the good things that he had done for them. And sometimes we have to do that. When things are tough, maybe financially or health-wise or family-wise, whatever it may be, we have sometimes to rehearse. I will tell of all his deeds. I will rehearse the things that God has done for me. Now when it comes to those times of doubting and other people seem to be getting on so well, I'm just going to tell forever of the good things that God has done. How good is the God we adore. Our great unchangeable friend whose love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. It's Jesus the first and the last whose spirit shall guide us safe home. We'll trust him, we'll praise him for all that is past and we'll trust him for all that's to come. Isn't that true? How good is the God we adore. Let's have a prayer. We thank you, Lord, for this tremendous psalm this morning. And we recognise that there are times when we feel that other folk are getting on pretty well. And they don't even know you or love you or care about you. And sometimes we who do care about you, we get landed with it. There's all sorts of problems come on board and, and we find it difficult to cope with them. Family problems work problems, financial problems and sometimes we wonder like that lady I visited just recently where's it all going to end two marriages broken up and a, a godly son who's facing more cancer operations and we wonder where it's all going to end and yet Lord when we get into the sanctuary when we get into this place here the very house of God as it were we can glean a new perspective we can see things from your point of view. And somehow, Lord, the whole situation can be turned around. Because we know that we want to be near you. And we are held by your right hand. We have much to thank you for and praise you for. And we thank you, Lord, that you have done so much for us. And when times are difficult, help us to rehearse all the good things that you have done for us. We'll praise you for all that is past and we'll trust you for all that's to come. In Jesus' name. Amen.